how do you follow that? I, I don't know uh, <laughs> all the things he said, but uh, I sure appreciate it. And it's, it's just an honor. I know uh, Fernando last week said the same thing. It is an honor to stand here before you this morning. Um, after David asked me, and I just began to think of the people who who've stood here and opened the Word of God, and, and believe me, I am humbled to be here. And uh, I, I thank David for his words and for asking me to to preach this morning. Uh, actually, it is an answer to prayer. At, at one time, I asked the Lord to uh, allow me to preach, not necessarily here. That that was beyond my. Uh, expectation, and uh, he answered that prayer, and so uh, just thank him for that. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we, uh, as as Kurt said earlier, that uh, today is just a, a tragic day in the, the time of our nation, but as he said, uh, Jesus, that's just the answer, Jesus. And so, Father, as, as we come here to open your word and, and uh, you've promised that you would give the words that are needed as as we speak. And you promise, Father, to be right here with us, to, to drench us with your spirit. So, Father, we ask that your spirit come, that he speak. And in this audience, Father, there is only one, and that's you. And we pray that you be glorified in all that's said and done here this morning. And that, Father, that uh, your word would go forth, and we bless you and praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, as the pastor said, excuse me, you may see me do this a bunch today, and I, uh, for some reason, uh, my throat's a little messed up, so I'm, I'm not going to put it right here because I know where it'd be. It'd be knocked out there in the front, so, but um, uh, as David said, uh, I was a high school principal in, in administration. I was a, a history teacher, and so... Uh, when I approach things, uh, I, I tend to approach it from a, uh, a contextual and a, and a history perspective. I think the more you know about what was going on at the time, the more you can understand. And I think it's especially true as we study the scripture. So this morning, it, it might be a little di uh, different for you. Now, if you hated high school history uh, and slept through it, I'm going to be watching out there. And uh, so you need to you need to stay awake. I used to wander around and kind of tap people on the shoulder when they were. So I can't do that right now, I don't think. But anyway, so uh, if you would turn to Matthew 16, 13 through 17. <clears throat> and as you're turning and it's coming up on the screen, I'll just give you a little background. Commentators, when they're talking about Jesus' life, they tend to divide it into four parts. Uh, they tend to talk about, you know, the birth and his early childhood. Then the second part is the introduction to his ministry. And then the third part is uh, the, the time of popularity. And then the fourth part is a time of persecution leading to the passion and Christ's cruci <clears throat> crucifixion. And at, at this point, as we read, Jesus is uh, in the midst of essentially the persecution part. And just everywhere he goes, every time he speaks, anything he does, he's criticized. The Pharisees are there, the Sadducees, etc. 
So it would seem as we begin here uh, in, in Matthew, uh, Jesus is pulling his disciples away. He is going to a place where there's really not very many uh, Pharisees or Sadducees. He's going to the region of Caesarea Philippi. So I'll read, begin, re <clears throat> begin reading. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist. John the Baptist had just uh, been uh, executed. Others say Elijah and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Then Jesus turns and says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon son of Jonah, for this is not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. So as we go back, Caesarea Philippi, this is an area in northeast Israel. If you looked at all of Israel, this is probably the most pagan area in Israel at that time. Uh, the leader at that time is uh, Herod Philip II, son of Herod who killed the babies. And he, the name of this place had been Panis. And it was named after the Greek god Pan, the half man, half goat. And, and it was a cultic area, and there were uh, areas, of, there was uh, little temples to Zeus and, and to the Egyptian gods. And so it's, it's amazing that Jesus would leave the area he's been in around Galilee, around Jerusalem, and move into this area. But I think he's going there to, to talk to the disciples, to get them away and, and be able to express to them and to teach them some things. And so you can imagine him walking along in this area where you have all this pagan activity and, and, and temples, etc. And he, he turns to, you can see his face. You can see Jesus, he turns and he says, who do the people say I am? Jesus never says anything just to be saying something. There's always a point he's moving to. And so the disciples respond immediately. And, you know, John the Baptist, Elijah, etc. And then you can see his eyes. You can see the fire in him when he turns and he says, well, what about you? That is a question not only for the disciples, but it's for us. What about you? Who do you say that I am? Now, my favorite character other than Jesus in the New Testament is Simon Peter. And so he, he blurts out as usual. And this time he's right on line. He said, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the anointed one. You are the son of the living God. Jesus turns, and, and, I, and I can almost see Jesus' face. He's smiling, and, and, and he, what he says to Peter at this time, he, he says, blessed are you. You got it right. Son of Jonah, this was not reveal, revealed to you by flesh and blood. You didn't get this from man. But what? You got this from my Father in heaven. Now, Sometimes when we read scripture, we can read through very quickly and we just kind of, oh yeah, that's nice, and we move on. Let's stop and 
for just a second and see what Peter was actually saying. When he says you're the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the Savior, he's, he's got it right, but he doesn't know the whole story yet. Israel had been looking for the Messiah for years since David. But they were looking for a ruler, a king, one to come back, one to throw off the Romans, one to restore Israel to its power. So when Peter says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, he's exactly right, but he was looking for that type of ruler. How do we know that? If you look a few verses down, and we won't, don't go there, but Jesus begins to tell his disciples that he's going to die. He's going to be put to, be put to death. He's going to be in the grave for three days, but he's going to rise. And Peter comes back and says, what? No, no, Lord, you're not going to do that as long as I'm around. That's, that's not the way it's going to be. Peter understood, yes, you're the Messiah, but he didn't understand the type of Messiah that was coming. And then Peter makes a statement, and this is an amazing statement for a Jewish man at this time. He said, you're the son of the living God. Now, if you remember, in Israel, they believed in what? One God. It was blasphemy to make this statement. So Peter revealed by the Father in heaven to make the statement that you are the son of the, you are divine. You are part of the living God. A, a major step for a Jewish man at this time. So right now, essentially, we, we've discovered who we're talking about. We're talking about the Messiah. We're talking about Jesus, the Christ. We're talking about the Son of God. But what does Jesus say about himself? Let's turn over to John 14, 1 through 6, and most of you are familiar with this uh, <coughs> excuse me, passage. Um, just not every funeral I've been to maybe every funeral that I've done, I use this passage. It's a one of great comfort. But once again, let's look at the context of what was going on at this time. Jesus, they had just had the Last Supper. Judas had just left to go and betray Christ, to tell the, the temple guards and, and the Sanhedrin where Jesus was going to be. And so now that he's left, Jesus is beginning to talk to the disciples in these last few hours before he will be arrested. He's told the disciples that I'm going away. He's told the disciples that you can't come where I'm going. You, Peter has, has told Jesus uh, again, he, he still doesn't get it, but he, he's told Jesus, you know, I, I want to go with you. And Jesus said, you can't come yet. Peter says, you, you know I'll lay down my life for you. <laughs> Jesus kind of shakes his head, and I'm sure in great sorrow. He says, Peter, before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me three times. Tremendous amount of emotion going on in that room. And Jesus is spending the last few hours that he will have before he's arrested, knowing what is coming. He spends that time comforting and teaching his disciples. All of John, literally from this point on to the crucifixion, about four chapters 
is, uh, gives us uh, much of the teaching of Jesus during this time, whether in the upper room or as they w walk to the garden of Gethsemane. So Jesus turns to them. In, in, in their fear, uh, in their trouble, and he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My, house, my father's house, <coughs> house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Now, probably my second favorite, or my third favorite character after Jesus and then Peter is Thomas. Thomas pretty much tells it like it is. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know. We don't know where you're going, so how do we know the way? That would have been me. I, I, where are you going? We want to come. We've been with you for three years, and now you're saying you're going away, and, and you'll come back, and we know the way, but I don't know the way. How can we know the way? Jesus answered these, these verse, this verse that's so comforting. I am the way. And I am the truth. And I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now, as our pastor likes to say, what part of no man don't you understand? From Adam to the baby that was born two seconds ago, all of us can only come to the Father through Jesus Christ. When Jesus begins to answer the question, he makes a statement, I am. If you go back to Genesis when Moses is at the burning bush and, G and God has told Moses, you're going to go in, you're going to go back, you're going to lead my people out of Egypt. And after Moses argues for a while, he'll say, well, who do I tell them that I'm coming from? And what does God say? You tell them I am that I am. Jesus is equating himself right here with the Father. I am, just like the Father, the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. Earlier on, we, we looked at who Jesus was as Peter confessed, the Christ, the Savior, the Anointed One, the Son of the Living God. And as we saw, Peter really didn't understand, and, and the people didn't understand. Right here, Jesus is beginning to fully explain who he is. He is the only way. No man, no man comes to the Father except through him. Now, when you, when you stand there, and I, I guess maybe uh, some may be listening. Uh, I doubt many in this room, but some may be listening and saying, boy, that's the most intolerant thing I've ever heard. 
How could somebody say that they are the exclusive way to go back to the Father? That wasn't intolerance, that was love. That was perfect love. Jesus was telling them, there is no other way back to the Father. There is no other way back to righteousness and purity and glory and all that there was prior to sin. There is no other way than through Jesus. Perfect love being expressed because in a few hours, Jesus Christ was going to be arrested, beaten, spit upon, cursed, anything you could think that could happen. The Romans had a great thing. They could beat you to death within an inch of your life. And then they would take you and put you on a cross and finish the job. Here is Jesus talking, comforting to the disciples, telling them and telling us, I am the way. There is no other way. Trust me. You trust God, trust me. So we've been told who Jesus was. Jesus has told us what he's going to do. Why? Why is he the only way? Why is Jesus the only way back? We could go back and we could go to Genesis, and, and uh, Fernando did a good job of that last week, and, and we could go back and we could see the original sin there. Every, as we said, or said earlier, every person from Adam and Eve to the baby born a few seconds ago, every child, man, woman, and child, has sinned. If we go to Romans, uh, and, and uh, Anne, I apologize, you don't have this, but Romans 3.23 says, for all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us, anyone that thinks that they haven't, or that's not a true statement, I challenge you to go down into the nursery right now and find the two-year-olds and watch them. Their first no words probably besides mama and daddy are no and mine. They'll grab somebody. Sin is innate. It's in us from the beginning, from the garden. We have a sinful nature, and we carry it out. So all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Okay, so we've all come. We've all sinned. What's the penalty for that? Glad you asked. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Every one of us is going to die. That's part of the, the wages of sin. But the other part is sometimes we as evan uh, evangelistic Christians <clears throat> Say, we, we have eternal life. Everybody has eternal life. From the moment you were born, you've had eternal life. The question is, where are you going to spend it? All of sin, the wages of sin is death, and the decision to where you will spend eternal life. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the way to 
spend eternal life with who? The Father. No man comes to the Father except through me. So, Jesus was taken. A few hours later, as we said, he, he, he was on trial before the Sanhedrin. They accused him of being the Son of God. And he said, it's as you say, and they scream blasphemy, and they take him to the Romans to be crucified. In his crucifixion, in his death, in his shedding of blood, that was the way, the way, that you get from a sinful life back to the Father. There is no other way. Frank Sinatra, we, we kid in our Sunday school class, we, Frank Sinatra had a song that many of you will remember. He said, you know, I did it my way. We can't do it our way. The only way is through Jesus Christ. So as Christ died, he pays the price, the price that you could not pay. Your price is death and eternal separation from the living God. His price, his blood. He was perfect. Remember, John said as he saw Jesus coming to be baptized, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He lived a perfect life. And he was the perfect sacrifice. There's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And the shedding of blood was through a perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah the Savior, the Christ, the one who Peter uh, explained when, he, when, he said, when Jesus said, blessed art thou, Peter, or Simon, you got it right, I am, but you don't fully understand it. And then he comes and tells them who I am. I'm the one who's going to take you back to the Father, only through me, only through my sacrifice, my shedding of blood for you. And from then, after his crucifixion, after his death, after the, the Father cannot look on sin, when Jesus took all the sin of the world on him, the Father couldn't look on it. The Father is pure and holy, and he could not look on that sin, and he had to turn his back. Think about this for a second. He, he had to turn his back on his only begotten Son. This wasn't something that man planned from the beginning from the garden, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit devised a plan. They knew from, Jesus knew from the beginning when he left heaven, he knew all the way through, he knew what faced him because he was the only way. So don't, don't call his statement, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father. Don't call that intolerant. Call that love. It is the only way for us to return to the Father. So Jesus goes. He's dead. He's crucified. He's laid in the grave. And he lays there for three days. And then he is raised again. Proof. <laughs> Proof that what he said was true. He has the keys to death and hell. He's made the way he has done what he said he was going to do. He was obedient to the Father. Think about it. 
how much love was poured out for you. We, we see in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Romans 5, 6 through 10. You see at the right, at just the right time. You think about that too. Just at the right time. When we were still powerless, when we were still in our sin, what? Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though a good person sometimes might possibly dare to die. But God... I think that's Larry Henry's favorite statement. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if we were... For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? He stands comforting his disciples, knowing what's coming. He willingly goes, willingly goes, to the cross. Jesus says, nobody takes my life. I, I turn it over. I give it up. All because he loves you. There was no other way. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is, great, it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's a gift. It is a free gift. He's already done. Essentially, he's already done the hard work. He gave up his life. And he has a gift. He stands there holding a gift. It is a gift of God. It is mercy and grace. And you can receive it. How? Through faith. But you have to receive it. You have to accept what he is offering you. You have to confess. You're right, God. I am a sinner. You have to confess that I deserve death. I am going to receive death. My punishment is that I'm going to be separated from you for forever, for eternity. It never ends. I'm going to where there is constant evil, no good, constant darkness. Like God, like Jesus. Here's the gift. The gift of my life, my blood shed for you. I paid the price. I paid for your wages. I have redeemed you. You are a slave to sin, and I have bought you through my death, burial, and resurrection. But the only way, the only way back is a confession. It's saying, Father, I confess I, I have sinned. 
and I repent of those sins. I, I turn from my sin. I turn 180 degrees. I move from what I was doing to where I want to go. Back to you. I repent of my sin. And I know the only way that can happen is through your blood. It is through what you did for me. That mercy and that grace that you poured out on me. You're, you're right, Father. You are, our Jesus, you are the only way. What you said is true. And what I will receive is abundant and eternal life. So as we stand here and think about what Christ has done for us, and if you could envision him standing right here with, his, with, with a package, with a gift, his hands outstretched, and then you notice when his hands are outstretched, he has the nails, the nail scars in his hand, and he stands there by faith. Believing what he says is true. Reach out and take the gift. The gift of life. The gift of forgiveness. I know that uh, maybe in here I'm kind of preaching to the choir. I'm sure that almost everyone in here has accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because I can't think of any other reason you'd be here at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning. But there may be someone out there watching on the computer or however you manage to, to see us. I don't really understand all that. But at this moment, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, please do not reject what he's saying. Every one of us has to come to the point where Jesus may look at you and say, who do you say that I am? It's kind of a question that rolls through eternity. Who do you say that I am? And if you're like Peter, thou art the Christ. <laughs> thou art the Savior. Thou art the Messiah. Thou art, thou art the anointed one. Thou art the son of the living God. And I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And I believe that you will take me home to be with the Father. So if, if you, at this present time, watching from home, or wherever you may wa be watching from, or here in, in the audience, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, Accept that. Come to him. Another little statement that we make in the, in the, in the class at times, I'll have to be honest with you, God that won't, doesn't promise you a rose garden. When you come to him, you come to a new life, you come to joy, and you come to peace, and you come to war with the evil one. So, I, uh, personal testimony, I thought when I came to Jesus, I thought everything, you know, it's going to be great from here on out. I will have no more problems. Little did I know. And that's not to scare you away. It's to tell you that you have one standing right beside you 
who is more powerful than the evil one, who, who once you give your heart to him, uh, he goes before you and your joy, all your joy will be in him. No matter the circumstances, we, we've heard the pastor say it over and over here again, no matter the circumstances, they won't change, but your joy, your relationship to the Father improves. So at this time, I think I'm uh, getting through a little bit early. Nobody's walking around to play the piano or anything. But I am going to ask the prayer partners to come. And if there's anyone here today in this, in this room that would want to come to know more about this Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, we would ask you to come forward. And if those of you at home, if you would pray, let us know in some way what you've done. And I, and I would say to those that are watching, find a church, an evangelical church, one that preaches the word, one that believes the word, find them, and as you come to know Jesus Christ, join with them in worshiping him. So, Father, we would ask that these words just go forth to our hearts. Father, that you would be glorified, you would be blessed in all that's been said and done. And that your spirit would go and draw all those that need to come to you this day. Draw them to you. Father, let them know the joy of Jesus Christ. Let them know the joy of salvation. Let them know the joy of, of the future that they have in you. So we bless you, Father. We thank you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your love that was poured out on us on that cross. Come, Lord Jesus, in Christ's name, amen.